Welcome to Logos on Tap. I'm your host, Christian Lunday, and my co-host here, Derek Sessoms, pulling up the back end. What's up? How we doing? Doing good. Uh, Beer of the day is the Ace Pineapple uh, Craft Cider. It's not a beer, but it's good. It is good. I like it. It's gluten-free and vegan, so I'm almost ashamed to admit it, but it's fantastic. I'm older than this brewery. (laughs) Wow. Am I? My birthday was yesterday. Yeah, I don't know. You no, tell me. Probably not. Um, <laughs> so uh, we've got a special guest. Uh, he's a pastor. He's an entrepreneur. He's hilarious. His name is Jeremy Candelaria. How are you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Hey, Thank man. you very much Welcome. for being here. Yeah. yeah, man. So our thought of the day. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's Hebrews 12, 11. And that's going to bring us uh, to Jeremy. He just came out with a book called Life 45. It's very fantastic, super easy read, uh, very beneficial and informative. Uh, so we're going to get into the background of uh, how he wrote it, and uh, hopefully it's nice and meaty. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jeremy, tell us how you became a Christian. Oh, man, that's a loaded question for sure. Uh, I'll try to give you the for real condensed version. My mom was addicted to crack cocaine very heavily in my formative years when I was young. And it brought a lot of baggage, a lot of abandonment issues, a lot of I felt like she chose the drug over me. And it culminated to one night where she stole a car and she tried to exchange $200 for, for, well, $2 for $200 worth of crack cocaine. And before she could get away, they pulled her out of uh, the car and they beat her uh, nearly. I mean, it, it was a pretty bad situation. And I happened to be staying at my grandmother's house at the time. And I'll never forget the phone call. The phone call was just her in this absolutely desperate, desperate voice that I had never heard before and um, begging and pleading that she could come to stay there. And, and then she was just bloody and beaten and her face was swollen. And the next day she went into a, uh, a place called Edwin Shaw for detox. And then from there went into outpatient and a place called IBH and I'm sorry, inpatient treatment facility for 90 days in there she met the Lord. And at that time I was following in her footsteps and doing some of the same things that she was doing, albeit not as hard because I was 13 years old, but drinking and smoking and, um, and doing some crazy stuff, some other crazy stuff. And my grandma said, Hey, you're going to go visit your mom on Saturday because it's the first family day. And I was like, I didn't want to go. I was hung over, but my grandma has a way of uh, making you do exactly what she wants you to do. So I went, and excuse me. And then I noticed, I really noticed about her that something was different. I couldn't really understand it. I was young. I never seen her like this. I'll never forget. It was almost like an August day where the glow of the sun was behind her and the trees were kind of blowing with the leaves. And it was just like surreal, almost as if she were glowing. And I, I literally grabbed her and I said, mom, what's wrong with you? And she said, what do you mean? I'm like, seriously, like what's wrong? You're different. You're happy. What's wrong? And she said, Jeremy, she said, do you know Jesus? And I'm like, yeah, I know Jesus. 
everybody like you used to take me to Aunt Nomi's church, you know, Aunt Nomi's house on the weekends and drop me off. And, you know, I'd have to go to church with them on Sundays and sing those songs. I know Jesus. And she grabbed me by the arm and she said, no. She looked at me around the eye. She said, do you know him? And instantly I was like, nope, but I want to. And the same exact time, uh, a guy that I used to pick on all the time for being a Bible thumper invited me to church, went to church. I gave my life to Jesus, and, uh, and I was about 14 years old at the time when that happened, and, and the rest is history. So that's how it happened. My, my mom led me to Christ wow. through her sobriety. Holy expletive. <clears throat> I think we need uh, something a little bit harder than <laughs> this. Wow, what a story. That's crazy. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> So fast forward in your life, uh, you're a pastor now, you're an entrepreneur. How did you get into those fields? Well, church planting was my, I guess, um, my introduction to entrepreneurship because, you know, planting a church is one of the most difficult taxing things that you could possibly do because from a humanistic secular side, essentially what you're doing is especially when you have you're starting a church for nothing you have no money you have no people and what you're trying to do is you're getting you're trying to convince people again secular humanistic side you're trying to convince people to come and work for you and pay you while they work for you Mm -hmm. and this is what we call the church in terms of serving and you're a pastor and you get paid and so very difficult but on the biblical side the fact of the matter is is that you know this is something that god has created the church is his idea not ours and it's a beautiful thing um when it works the way it should work and in essence what we had to do is cast vision and we had to start from nothing and with no one and we had to paint a picture of an ideal future and our first church that we planted is still going on today i'm not the pastor of it um but it is it's a strong church it's an amazing gospel-centered church and i love the people there and i love the pastor there and the tagline for that church was making life change possible. And the reason why we said that as a vision is because we can't change lives. We can only make it possible for the Holy Spirit to do it. And we would do that through a variety of different ways on Sunday mornings. And so I say all of that to say when you start a church from nothing and you have no one but a compelling vision, that is going to force you to become so entrepreneurial, so MacGyver-esque in terms of what you're willing to do to make the dream work and make the vision work and bring unity and bring a culture of growth and a culture of excitement and a culture of anticipation that once you dive into the business world, it's virtually no sweat. I remember working for the corporate world when we were planting our church right before I went full-time staff and the I was in charge of a $15 million portion of this, this company. Um, and the marketing director, we were working on a new product and I was putting it together. It was my job to work on it. It was her job to package it. And she said to me, how, how do you, how are you so good at all this? And my answer was simply because I planted a church. Mm-hmm. When you do that, all this other stuff sort of falls into line. And I think that there's something that goes hand in hand with, being an entrepreneur, being a church planter, and being a self-starter, business starter. Right. just kind of works itself together. Just you know, Duct tape, toothpicks, and a lot of providence. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and some prayer. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of that. Um, well, now you can add author to your list of titles. Um, so what yeah. inspired you to write your book called Life 45? And I've always wanted to write. I always knew that it was something that that was going to happen. I put a, I've sort of had a goal that I was going to become an author before 40. And, um, this book, this book I wrote in 2020, the latter half, latter half of 2020 took me about three months from start to finish. And it really came out of a place of desperation. And since then I've finished another book that's going to be published in less than two weeks and then working on our third book. So before the age of 40, uh, I will have not just one, but four. Wow. And that's, that's the goal. But this particular book, the Oedipus of this book, the reason why my wife and I actually co-authored this book together was because we had built a business in the concrete world where the business world, where we were pretty, I would say from the outside looking in pretty successful in terms of money. We didn't, we made more money than we ever had before, and and we weren't we weren't hurting for money, and therefore we became comfortable. And when you become comfortable, it's it's it can become toxic, and it was toxic to our health, my health in particular, because uh, I was pastoring a church at this time. I was also uh, running a, a concrete business that was just on the brink of doing a million dollars a year, and then. Um, man, I was just eating away my emotions. I was just eating away my anxieties and I became overweight, 278 pounds. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a very tall guy. Neither and so, I. yes, that's right. And, uh, <laughs> and, and really what it was, was it was a point of pain. Here's the, here's the, the big reason why I wrote it because I was tired of not being able to keep promises to myself and the whole premise of the book is if I cannot keep promises to me, if I cannot lead me, if I cannot trust me, then how can I lead my family? How can I lead my employees? How can I lead my church? How can I lead my kids? And so it was all about making a decision with the man in the mirror to actually do what the freak I say I'm going to do for me, for me first before anyone else. And this is what in the book I call my gut wrenching why. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that is what started our weight loss journey. We ended up losing a combined 74 pounds in 75 days out of that journey. We wrote this book. Um, and since then we've just in, since January, we've helped um, several people lose over 500 pounds as a result of this. And no, and the big idea is that they would take their confidence back and that they would take their, their courage back. And ultimately they would take their health and their life back. That's why it's called life 45. And it's four simple steps to keeping promises to yourself and taking your life back. That's a perfect segue into my next question. So on page 10, you said, if I cannot lead myself, I cannot lead others. And that, like you said, became your gut wrenching. Why? Uh, did that gut wrenching? Why have extra weight pun intended because you are a pastor? Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, I want to lead from a place of authenticity and Charles Spurgeon might've been overweight, but totally cool for him. Not so cool for me. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just not, you know, it's, it's, 
I don't think it's leading from the front the way you ought to. And, um, you know, it bothered me. It bothered me having to get up every day on a Sunday morning and figure out this sounds so stupid, but literally figure out what to wear to where I don't look like a complete idiot and a, and a buffoon. Um, it just, it just is a it's a terrible feeling to not be comfortable in your own skin, especially when you're trying to lead other people. And not only was it the way I looked, but it was the way I felt about myself. How can I look at you straight in the face with any form of integrity or any form of backbone and spine and tell you what I think that you should do according to the scripture or otherwise when I know myself I'm not subscribing to it because I've become comfortable with my lethargy if you will yeah and that speaks to just so many different parts of our human condition right there i mean you know and i i really like how you boiled that down into this just this space of hey um if nothing else how am i keeping promises or keeping my own word to me like how, how am i at least keeping that within check how am i at least reigning on that to then where you step in these other spheres that are obviously much more impactful to other people that's yeah that's powerful yeah, I mean it's 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 literally just an and and inside out kind of thing. Like you know, I think leadership really at the core is is leading from the front and leading by example and it's always top down. So it doesn't matter whatever area of your life it is, it's important that you're leading well. And I re- I remember whenever I was broke, I was broke. I couldn't teach the church about finances cuz I myself was broke. How could I teach you what to do with your finances when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do with mine. But when that story changed, when that dialogue changed, when that reality for me changed, and all of a sudden we had a year's worth of, 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 of living saved and in the bank, now with some sort of semblance of authority, I could say, hey, listen, here's what you need to do. You know, um, Here's what the scripture says that you should do. And even if it's not my authority, it's the authority of the word of God that I'm proclaiming it. If my life doesn't resemble it, if I'm not mirroring it, if I'm not exampling it, then there really isn't a lot of power in that. Um, and so, but when your life is mirroring, your life is exampling it, then you can get up there and some people would call that anointing. Some people would call that there's just something special or different about this guy. And the reason why is because he's literally practicing what he preaches. Mm-hmm. There's no power in being fake in any area of your life ever. Just be real, even really, if you struggle. I really want to run through a brick wall for you right now. You get me pumped. <laughs> so in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 uh, through 27, Paul says, Athletes exercise self-control in all things to win a perishable wreath, but we imperishable. Um, when we talk about ha- like taking care of our bodies, so a good portion of your book is talking about your physical well-being and leading yourself physically. What are the spiritual implications of a good or bad diet? That's definitely a heavy question. I mean, obviously, it's just a stewardship issue. When you realize that everything in your life, including the breath that you're taking right now, is on loan, when you really do get that, um, you're going to begin to look at life differently. The things that you have aren't yours. You're just in transition. You're just passing by. And so with your own body, he's given you a body. And every single day on this side of the, of the dirt is a great day. So why in the world would I squander it? And, you know, 
in in that passage, I believe he's talking about even, you know, running to receive the crown and the fact that, you know, we don't beat our bodies like like somebody punching the air aimlessly. Like we're doing this to receive a crown. And physical training is important. It is important. Um, but the spiritual part of it is even more important that we are learning to control ourselves mm-hmm. on a spiritual level and a mental level and an emotional level, obviously ultimately on a physical level, so that um, we can attain the prize of eternity. And I'm not talking about workspace righteousness. I'm just saying there's something to having the fruit of the spirit called self-control to be able to say no to the lust of the flesh. Yeah. That's, this is the essence of what it means to be a believer that follows Jesus. Well, I think you spoke to that you even know? more if we can go off of you know the other um, fruits of the spirit just there, right? So um, even even that anecdote you gave of you know Saturday, it was wrecking your day. Like you had to prepare yourself to be able to get up in front of your congregation. So even then, like any lackluster or ability to step in authority as a pastor was already being questioned by yourself, not by anybody else, but by your own self, your own makeup of who you were. So now just being able to navigate where you're at, you know, that authority just comes through it. So that self-control is now starting to build into this other place where, all right, now peace is starting to come in. You know, now you have this ability where you can practice more patience because you're able to see yourself. You're able to keep your own word to you. And now you can start sharing that and shining that onto everybody else. Yeah, definitely. I like that. I mean, you know, again, you're right. I think one just bleeds into the other. And, and a large portion of it does start with who you are and who God's made you. And if you're not comfortable with you because you're not, you're not doing what he, you're supposed to do as a good steward of your body, mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. It's going to affect your confidence. It's going to affect your peace. It is, it is going to affect every portion of your life. Right. I mean, it, as if I can be cliche here, I mean, the old adage is, you know, you, you can't really love others unless you love yourself. So if you're not really able to love who you are, how are you going to be able to pour that out to others? So, right. I mean. So uh, why do you think people's emotions are so interconnected with their diet? So I know that with a lot of foods, you get a dopamine hit and that dopamine hit is pleasurable and comfortable. So most people kind of strive for those types of uh, feelings whenever they do any activity, not just eating. But is that one of the reasons why we are so interconnected emotionally uh, with food? With our diet? Yeah, yeah I think. Yeah, go ahead. No, uh, you go ahead. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I would say so. Um, I mean, I've had more than my fair share of addicts that I've interacted with um, who were able to stay clean off of heroin, but they can't kick sugar. Um, because it still gives them some type of reuptake of some neurochemical that satisfies them. Um, I mean, carbs just from a instinctual basis are a requirement for us. So eating heavy carb foods when we're stressed is a natural part of us just trying to self-soothe. I mean, it's, it's the unfortunate piece of abundance, right? It's the, the toxic part of living in pleasure. You know, we, we don't really see the dangerous side effects or the toxic elements of that until, you know, much longer down the line and we're like oh wow my body is falling apart or oh wow you know i can't really even address myself because of just how i am you know there's so much to that um that can just start to degrade people over and over again and and i I really like where i think the book goes and even what you were saying as well because it's very affirming of that you know of, of this space where it's almost um 
You know, it's my it's my favorite kind of word, but I think it falls right in line with this place of lack of self-control or lack of self-discipline is entropy. You know, this place of, hey, order that we sustain in ourselves falling away into chaos where just by our inaction or our um, unintentionality starts to allow this erosion of who we are until we don't even know where we're at. So I, I think absolutely, you know, diet and our emotions would play hand in hand. Um, <clears throat> that's a fantastic nugget. Uh, free education for a guy who's paid a lot of money to get his. Yeah, I'm still paying for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so physical fitness and leading ourselves physically is important. Um, I, I know that we're a bunch of guys here, but in Proverbs 31, 17, the woman is described as strong and that she's fit. Do you think that this simple descriptive proverb is important for young women to look up to? You're asking me. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, is Francine there? She can come. She can come in here. and answer. She, she, she is. She cannot hear me. So maybe, <laughs> um, maybe I could bring her in on that. Uh, hold on a second. Let me well, bring well, Hey, why, if that. you're, if you're like going to do that, I actually want to hear your intake, like input as far as what Christian asked before, as far as emotions and just, um, diet. Cause I mean, even in your experience, I mean, you were, you were very committed as, as far as obviously falling through with your book. I mean, just out of your own experience, how can you speak to that? Yeah, I think it's interesting. The Hebrew word for emotions is appetite. And I think that a lot of us, the lust of the flesh gets us. And one of the ways it gets us is through gluttony. And it's one of the sins that's so socially acceptable in our society that we overlook it. And it's one of the, you know, um, seven deadly sins, if you want to be real about it. And so what I mean by just your appetite with your emotions is that in America, we eat our emotions. When we're happy, we celebrate with food. When we're depressed, we celebrate from with the number one from Taco Bell. Mm. Uh, when we're mad, we, we eat food. And uh, we do other things too, other substances and indulgences. But really what we're doing is we're feeding that emotional appetite. And what you need to learn to do as somebody who is thin or somebody who is emotionally healthy is that you do not allow your emotions to dictate your actions. You must allow or become in control of your actions, your emotions to where your actions actually dictate your emotions. You tell your emotions, you sit over there in the corner, you are not going to run my life anymore. Because when you are in charge, I get into things I shouldn't get into. I eat porn. I mm -hmm. eat things I shouldn't eat. I drink things I shouldn't be drinking to excess. I do things I shouldn't be doing. Yep. All of it is a response of wetting that spiritual appetite, that that lust of the flesh, as it were. Um, so it's less spiritual appetite, more of a fleshly appetite. But wetting that appetite and true leaders, true men, they know how to say no. And, uh, and I think that's kind of where this process in our book, we give you the tools to address it. Not to speak specifically about weight loss, but it's it's one of the biggest things. If I could just go off on this just for a second, it's a little tangent. You know, the the majority of Americans are obese. That's not the problem. The problem is why we are obese. And the reason why is most of us try to fix it physically. It's not a physical problem. The physical problem is a manifestation of a greater problem. The greater problem is the fact that it's emotional. 
because we can't control our emotions. But then it doesn't stop there. It's sort of like an onion being peeled in reverse. And so what happens is our emotions are a manifestation of our, of our thoughts, the things that we choose to think. And, and, uh, and, and, and not only that, but we have to actually go deeper. The real reason why people are emotionally out of control and it manifests themselves physically is because they have subscribed to, subscribed to belief systems that are not true. I can never actually get my health under control. They believe things that are not true. I will never be fit. I can never be healthy. I can never see myself in a size eight. I can never see myself in a pair of 33s, you know, jeans. I can never, I can never get to the place where I feel comfortable in my own skin. I've been this way 10 years, 15 years. I mean, the people that we come across that are just, they've been stuck. They literally feel like they have lost their confidence in their life, man. I mean, it's a real thing that the majority of Americans feel and, and, and experience. And the reason why is because they don't believe they can. They have subscribed to what I call in the book, the scarecrow. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just a terrible, terrible set of lies. You fight that by identifying them and you put no longer statements behind it. No longer will I allow my emotions to control my actions. No longer will I allow what they said about me or what my dad said about me. I talk about dumb Debbie in the book. Um, she, she put on layers of thickness and fat because her dad called her dumb. She began to believe it. Therefore, she began to think it. Therefore, emotionally, she began to eat it. And physically, the manifestation was she was literally 200 pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. If you get down to the core, you replace that with a, a positive affirmation. And our, our power uh, structure is what we call it, helps you grow in each one of those areas incrementally. So that monumentally, you begin to build discipline in your spiritual belief, in your mental capacity, in your emotional health, and in your physical body to where before you know it, weight loss literally becomes easy and you take your life back. So all of that's tied up into that the answer to that question. Now we have to get into the Proverbs answer. So I'm going to take my earbuds out so my wife can hear me. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes absolutely I think sense. that makes a lot of sense because I mean even – but even like going off of this place of like Romans 12, one and two, right? Um, you know, don't be conformed to this idea or this uh, institution of just, okay, yeah, excess is more, excess is better, just whatever it is. But hey, actually step into the space of being transformed by the renewal of your mind, right? Living as a living sacrifice because you know it's a space of discipline and this intentionality that's going to bring this transformation for greater life. Um Actually, your your answer almost is uh, uniform regardless of gender. And we have some ladies out there. <clears throat> yeah. You know who you are. Um, but it kind of ties back to what kind of righteous attitude should both genders take towards their own fitness. So the reason I asked about the Proverbs 31 woman is because um, some men uh, in their vanity prefer really fit women uh as opposed to unfit women. And then the excuse is that they can't, if they can't take care of themselves, um, I want my wife to be, you know, there for their children and our children's children. And if they can't take care of themselves now, how will I know that they'll take care of themselves later? Um, so it, it, they try to hide it as the leadership issue. I kind of think it's more of a vanity issue, but I do think there's somewhat of a point for both genders, not just females, 
Um, and so that's why I asked, like, what kind of a righteous attitude should both genders take towards their own fitness? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really good observation on on your part where, you know, men kind of somewhat want to have a trophy wife and it really is a lack of their own security and, an ex- in, you know, kind of a exploitation of their insecurity. What I've seen, and I don't want a tangent here, but what I've seen in ministry, 20 years of ministry and just living life, is a man and a woman will fall in love. He falls in love with her when they're young. My wife and I have been married 20, 20 years. We've been together 25 years. We were 15 and 16 when we started to date. We're 39 and 40 now. Um, and when you're young, you're, you're, you're young. You're fit. Your skin's tight. Gravity hadn't gotten a hold of you yet. You haven't had any kids. You know, your teeth are still intact. Everything is, is, is on the up and up. Um, then a couple of years go by and you're, you're going through that stage of having children. You might have two or two or three kids. We have four kids. And what happens is your wife all of a sudden isn't as fit and awesome looking as she was when she was 19 or 20 years old, 21. And, And many, many men exchange that wife that they had totally, used to carry children, their children into the world. They exchange that wife for a a woman who is half of her age, has all the things that his wife used to have, and he uses it as some sort of an excuse. He'll find some sort of an excuse as to why that that happened. That's not always the case, but that certainly does happen where he kind of just exchanges her for, for a woman a quarter, a half of her age. And I think that that's the wrong way to, to, to do it. Obviously it's the wrong way to do it. For me, what I want to do is I want to bring my wife to the place of health where she uh, can feel good about herself again, where yes, she might've had four kids and yes, she might've put on some weight, but man, I want to lead her to a place of health. I want to be an example to her. I don't want to give up on her and just trade her in for some new model. What I want to do is I want to lead her in a place where she can feel good about herself, where I feel like physically she's attractive to me. Um, And that's hard work. And a lot of men don't want to put in the hard work, even though they had the fun while she, excuse me, while she was young and he, and, and he impregnated her, and she bore his children. And uh, I think my wife is actually on here. She can hear. She could probably speak to this too. Maybe if you have something to say, feel free to do it. But she's the she's the wealth of wisdom behind this. And that's included, but not limited to you know things that make her feel good about herself. If it's her hair that needs dyed and cut and styled, which isn't cheap. Um, if it's her nails, if it's whatever it is that she needs to make her feel good about herself, I need to be willing to do that for her. And a byproduct of her feeling good about herself is what? And I, she's obviously attractive to me. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like if she feels good about her, I'm going to feel good about her. Yep. What do you have to add to that? Anything? Um, I just wanted to kind of go off of what Jer was saying and, and add to it. Um, I think that, I mean, of course I agree with everything he said. Um, 
I think that a lot of times we get this, um, we have a lot of uh, feminism going on where, you know, if I want to assert my autonomy and, you know, you, sh- you should love me regardless is the perception that wives a lot of times have, you know, whether I'm overweight or I'm, I'm thin, you should love me regardless. Yes, that's true. My husband should love me regardless. And he does, but I should also want to be healthy and attractive for him. Not, not, not just for him, for myself to feel comfortable and good in my own skin, but there's nothing wrong with wanting to be attractive for my husband. And I think that a lot of times in our culture, we get that twisted. I think, I think so too. I I also think it goes uh, both ways. Um, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So in life 45, uh, not only is it about physical well-being, uh, but it's also about spiritual well-being. And, uh, you talk about reading a nonfiction or a chapter of the Bible every day. So a chapter of nonfiction reading or a chapter of the Bible every day. What passage would you start at? I mean, that's a- Great question. I don't even have the book in front of me, but um, for you don't have it memorized. <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> I do not. Matter of fact, she's the one that wrote that. She wrote that portion. She's the one that put together the forty-five day plan. So, you where would you start? You weren't lying about her being James. the the treasure trove of wisdom behind <laughs> you. <laughs> the book of James. The book of James for sure, and that's a great James answer. James and Mark, you know, because faith without works is dead. There's got to be an investment into your life and into your spiritual life and your physical well-being um, that you have to that you have to put in. And I think that's smart. So, I Doug Wilson calls it uh, reading the Bible with buddies. And uh, some of the tips that he has on note taking is you start out in the the New Testament, and any time you see the italicized passages of the Old Testament, you highlight those. Then you go back and highlight them in the Old Testament. So when you're done reading the New Testament and you start reading the Old Testament and you come across those highlighted passages, you're reading uh, something that Paul or James or Peter interpreted themselves. So you're reading the Old Testament with buddies. Um I was That's wondering awesome. if you had any tips to add as far as note-taking when you're reading the Bible or a nonfiction book. Well, um, as far as reading a nonfiction book, literally I just go through it and I underline. And I, I, I synthesize information pretty quickly, personally. As far as reading the Bible, to me... I, I think whomever you just quoted, that's a great idea and something that I should probably, you know, uh, start to introduce into my study. For me, I do read the scripture every day. I read a chapter of the scripture every day, and I usually read with buddies in terms of the fact that I'm walking through at any given time, the you know, the Bible with two men, two, two, two or three other guys. At this particular age and stage, it's three guys. So it's not anything really sexy. It's more consistency over intensity. And right now we're in the book of uh, Psalms, and we're 46 chapters, 47 chapters in, one chapter a day. And we just go through books of the Bible together, and we usually comment on a verse that sticks out for us and how we can apply that to our lives. And it's just a text thread. Matter of fact, it's on Messenger. So it's really not anything sexy. The bigger idea is to get the Word of God in your soul and digest it. And, um, I think it's always beneficial to actually not do that alone. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. 
Um, so on page 39, uh, this kind of harkens back to your uh, no longer statements. You said, what you believe to be true about yourself will play out in your daily behaviors. Even if a core belief is unhealthy, it still shapes how a person sees themselves and the world around them. Your solution is to write no longer statements and then write positive affirmation statements like I can or I am. First question, why didn't you tell me Joel Osteen also co-authored your book? Second question, the Bible really does emphasize how important and impactful words are. Uh, They build people up and they tear people down. So why do you think affirmation is important, even if it's just coming from yourself? Yeah. um, First answer, your first question wasn't a question. (laughs) There's a question Um, behind it. Okay. 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 Uh, Old Joel. Well, I never read any of Joel's books. Um, sadly, but no positive affirmation. So no longer statement, no longer you alluded to it. I think Derek. Yep. Is that right. Okay. Um, Romans 12 two. you know, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world any longer. Do not conform no longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in order to change your mindset, you have to put new information in. So a no longer statement identifies that false belief system, like dumb Debbie believing that she was dumb. Her dad told her that. So no longer am I going to no longer am I going to subscribe to what my dad said about me or no longer am I going to believe it's true what my dad said to me and writing that out and almost like almost writing it out with such intentionality and focus that you're almost breaking through the page with anger. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not subscribing to that pattern of my life anymore. I'm going to be transformed by a positive affirmation. And again, it's more Pentecostal in nature. And I don't really get into this much, but I, I believe it more and more. And that is the positive affirmation of the book of Romans chapter four talks about, uh, I believe it's in the good old King James version that God calls things that are not as though they were. And being created in his image and likeness, knowing that the power of life and death is in the tongue. If a powerful word like you are just dumb Debbie, you're dumb Debbie, you're not going to be good for anything could have such a negative effect on someone's psyche for years and years and years to where they put layers and layers and layers of insulation called pounds of fat on, then the reverse of that must be true. Life and death, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So a positive affirmation calling something that is not as though it were, what you're saying is, hey, I am a finisher. I am someone who keeps promises to myself. I am someone who enjoys suffering on purpose to avoid the pain of being fat later. I am somebody who is worthwhile. I am a good husband. You know, you can keep going on and on and on with I am statements or, or you know, these positive affirmations. And what you're really doing is you're over time, when you do this, this incremental thing every single day on your power structure, you begin to think differently about yourself than you did before. And when you identify that negative belief and you replace it with a positive belief about you, over time, you're contr- you, even if you don't understand why you're doing it, you're controlling your thoughts. You're, you're repatterning your brain to be renewed or transformed, as Romans 12.2 says, which then gives way to different emotions about yourself. Man, I can do this. Man, I'm an overcomer. Today, I'm going to go harder than I have before. I'm going to say no to the cake because there's always going to be freaking cake. I'm going to say no to the beer today. I might not say it tomorrow, but right now, 
at least in our program, we're saying no to it. Why? Because we don't want anything that can overtake our emotions to affect us for a small incremental amount of time, 45 days. Then we're building that discipline muscle. And the byproduct of all of that is physical transformation. It just is. So it all begins there at our belief system. Get rid of the negative stuff, the death, start to reintroduce life. And you think and and do different things. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I saw a a study. I, I don't know if it was a flawed study, and I can't remember who did it, but they had a group of plants, and they put one plant in one little atrium and a group of plants in another atrium, and they went and they said nice things to the plants in this atrium, and then they went and cursed at and yelled at these plants in this atrium. And the ones that were getting yelled at and cursed at were like drooping and starting to die. And then the other plants that they were positively affirming were growing much better and much quicker than the other plants. I don't know how, uh, how they did all that study. I don't know what their controls were, but when I read that, cause I used to believe words really don't like, you know, sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's not true. That's biblically not true because, like you said, you just brought it up. Paul himself talks about words building. I mean, Solomon, he he said the same thing. Like, words do actually have power. Um, and I'm, it's kind of befuddling to me. Is there some, like, psychological reason why words have that sort of power? Um, uh, how long do you have? I, as much time as you need. Okay. Um, so is this another free lesson or do I have to pay? No, it's just a long one. Um, so, I mean, it depends, right? Context always plays a part. Um, I mean, so yeah, going back to the idea of, you know, um, beliefs, thoughts, feelings, and actions, right? It's just like the cognitive behavioral, it's a wide, wide, well-known, um, place. So, um, this is what I, what I love most about that is one, it's the most well-known, and most subs- subscribable, and two, it's so much that you can back up off of what Paul himself was actually talking about in Scripture. But you even go to these other places where um, uh, words. So let's so let's start just from my scriptural opinion, and then we'll jump into like more of the psychological opinion. Like the consistency of Scripture, like the world itself, obviously from God. So let's put divine power where it needs to belong. But even still, spoken word put us all into existence. You know, Jesus is the word, you know, you have this place to where the, the prophet speaking the word of God, you know, you have all of this and it shouldn't be any surprise aside from our own modern cynicism that, Hey, words by themselves have this innate, innate power to them. Right. So you even get off of that and you put into this place of context of just societally, our, our verbalizations and how we identify different things and how we identify different things and how we are even put them onto ourself. So early on in our development, early on in our socialization with our family and our parents or whatever it may be, you know, this thing, this statement, this um, identifier, adjective placed onto a person, they start carrying that. You know, what was it, a dumb Debbie, right? So now this person's whole identity is now formed around this one adjective that somebody else who for all 
parlance concerned, you know, there is nothing significant about this person except for that they are a father figure. And they had that authority to speak this into existence into a child. I mean, if that itself doesn't it just have some type of weight and power to the the way that it can turn a person's life, I can't think of a more a more powerful example, frankly. Um, now, I mean, there's tons else just as far as how we speak to ourselves, how we engage with others, how our um, words even direct our our life, and where we are making declarative statements about ourselves or others. And I mean, I think just in that, I really like the how that even plays into the the underpinning of the book, right? You know, the 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 symbolism and the importance of even making the self declaration of "Hey, no longer," and you know, this place of I, I am going to uphold my own word, my word to me. Why? Because when I can establish that, when I can ha- capture and control that power and be able to rein that in, now I can start to speak the authority that maybe had already been brought into me by Christ onto others. And just it propels itself. So um, I, I think I probably took more of a spiritual an- approach in that. Dude, but, you just summarized my book completely. Yeah, uh, we Thank can go you. home now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So mic drop. Yeah. Fantastic. Jeremy, where can we find you at? So um, the shameless plug is you should probably pick okay. up a copy of Life 45 on Amazon. Link will be in the description for all of our platforms. There you go. Perfect. So uh, that's definitely something you should do. And then also I am on Instagram, albeit not as much as my kids. So that's just, you know, at Jeremy Candelaria one which I'm sure will also be on the description in the scripture in the description. And then of course on Facebook, my age, I'm 39. So Facebook tends to be more um, readily accessible to me uh, for business and otherwise. So just my name, I mean, it's pretty easy. Are you a boomer? <laughs> um, me and your brother fight about this a lot. <laughs> so I, Chesley, I wanted you can to hear suck it straight it. from <laughs> <laughs> that will not be edited out. <laughs> and the answer to that question is I am a Gen Xer. There you go. Hey, there you go. And I just want you to know that you just put a beautiful sound bite that's going to be floating around on the internet forever for Chesley that we're going to be able to reference to. That's right. <laughs> Jeremy, thank you very much. Francine, thank you very much. Uh, this was a fun podcast. And uh, I will definitely be posting links in the description. Uh, if you want any more information, uh, I'll also put Jeremy's Twitter handle. I don't know if you have Twitter. You're, you're Gen X or Gen Z. You're <laughs> Boomer. Uh, uh, I'll put your Instagram handle and your Facebook profile link in the description so people can find you. Um, thank you very much for being here. Christian, Derek, this was the best possible thing I could have ever done at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> I'm grateful for both of you. Thank you Thank for you. the opportunity. Thank you very much. God bless, man. Blessings.